Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. When somebody comes to you and says, like you're a coach, for example, all coaches are in the transformation business, right? And you want improvement on some aspect, all of the things you do don't matter unless they get the improvement, right? Unless they lose the weight or unless they they improve their golf handicap, unless they gain washboard abs, the only outcomes matter. And so ideally you charge for the outcomes and we're gonna see that shift continue more and more. What's happened is people that have been placed in a lot of positions had a very myopic view of what experience management is all about. And it's the ultimate value proposition of the organization. If you can't prove that you can improve the profitability, the revenue, the loyalty of of your uh, of what you're doing, then to be honest, you shouldn't have a job because that's what it's there for. I mean, you're not there for any other reason. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and no matter where you are, I have with me two people that need no introduction, which is why I will give them an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) And the two people are, we have Joe Pine, uh, the famous Joe Pine, who altered my life by writing a book called The Experience Economy uh, back in 1998. Is that right, Joe? 99. I read that and I thought, bloody hell. That's a great thought, and moved on from there. So uh, welcome, Joe. And Lou Carbone, who's also written a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, you should. It's called Clued In. And Lou, Joe, and I, I have to say, are friends. Uh, Maybe that's too much of a stretch. I don't believe it is. But over the years of working in this space, we've, we've obviously got to know each other pretty well. And whilst we're all in the same industry, we do share thoughts with each other. And today we're going to be talking a bit about what we think next year is going to look like. So what does 2023 look like? And for those of you that are missing Ryan, my co-host, then tough luck. He's off doing his woodwork somewhere, no doubt, and will be listening to this himself. So welcome, guys. Who wants to Who wants to kick off? Who wants to talk a bit about where you think next year is going to be? I think that we're at a very, very exciting point and a very critical point. I think what's been so powerful about our friendship and our work is the congruency in many places uh, in terms of the distinction that we see experience and see it differently than most people do. And I think that when we begin to think about experience being universal, experiences are the currency of life. And the atomic structure of those experiences are literally clues that are built into the experiences that cause us to have a deep impression. I fear that the work that has been done in the past is still very much based in industrial age thinking. And Joe, the thoughts that you put forward on time There was a futurist years ago, Watts Walker, who talked about the value equation moving from quality over price to quality over price times time to the first power times stress. 
And you're so on the money with where people are living today. And Colin, the understanding that we share on unconscious thought and what I call latent acuity is so critical as we reach this curve. I think there are a couple of things that I would would predict. One is the employee experience is a mess, an absolute mess, a total mess. We've got uh, Twitter, (laughs) which is an example of how to screw things up. We've got Starbucks, where people are trying to uh, unionize. And Apple as well. And Apple as well. I think that it's absolutely amazing. We're also in a period of a lack of customer civility. And how do we deal with customer civility? The impatience that people have. This is brought out with a frustration in what I call the COVID cop-out. I don't know... It is just absolutely terrible. Uh, My bank, a 45-minute wait to talk to the bank. Everyone from government agencies, everyone is using the excuse that it's COVID, employee-related, and we're beginning to get crappy experiences. And Joe, as you've always pointed out, time time is critical. 45 minutes to talk to my bank about a very simple thing, uh, which was just a, a request for a new debit card. Absolutely crazy. I tried to do it online, couldn't get it done online. Really ridiculous. I do believe that there's going to be a rise in distinctive qualitative research and design built off of curiosity and open-mindedness. These are the two critical aspects that need to open up in organizations. And I think that the frustrations organizations are having with what I would call the homogeneity of approach that is using industrial age perspectives rather than creating distinctive economic value, as Joe has always talked to. I believe that this rise of latent acuity those things that we don't even know we don't know is going to become a critical factor in understanding not what customers think, which is where all of this survey work is, to really understanding what we don't even know we don't know. And that's the difference between what customers think about experiences, what employees think about experiences versus how they think about experiences. So I'm very excited. I think we're beginning to begin to see a shift change. And I also think we're going to see a lot of CX people vanish in companies. Right. Oh, really? I, I do. I, I, I honestly believe that the buck stops at the top and a CEO is the chief experience officer. And there's a need for open-mindedness at that level versus living by numbers only. Because what we've tried to do is create numbers and metrics and we lose sight of the big picture. So Lou, fascinating, okay? And let, let maybe the, maybe the, if we hear from all three of us, then we can sort of widen the debate out a bit. Joe, one of the things that you and I have often talked about is the difference between your side of (laughs) 
customer experience or experience which is more i would call it sort of more experiential more theatrical uh, etc obviously the whole thing premise behind your book and my side of it which is more okay well if you're in a utility and you're you know you're in a contact center then this is what you you know you need to do more i don't want to say more practical but it just feels more sort of day to day how would you describe those differences first of all well generally what i say is that that the side uh, generally called cx customer experience is about making things nice and easy and convenient and and sort of over the last three or four years frictionless has become sort of the watchword uh, of that and the way and and which are which are which are great things right and like you said with the utility although i'm actually working with the utility on meaningful experiences um, but you know, with the utilities and others, it is to get to that level where nothing gets in the way. You know, with Lou's talking about that uh, with this bank, right? They they need your your CX, right, to be able to to satisfy Lou, so many other customers. And but with, with what I talk about is Lou mentioned is is, is distinctive experiences. I often say uh, experiences that in particular are memorable. They have that residue of the memory. Why? Because they engage us. Uh, and they engage us in a personal way. Uh, experiences, in my sense, exist inside of us. It's our reaction to the events that, that exist outside of us. Uh, and so you reach inside of people and engage them. And sort of the summary, uh, as Lou mentioned, is all about time. As CX is about time well saved. You know, make things nice and easy, convenient. You know, don't make me wait 45 minutes. That's, that's wasting my time, right? It's the worst thing you do is waste people's time. You provide time well saved. And then that becomes a wonderful base on which to provide time well spent, that people actually value the time that they spend with you. And I think that's the, the core distinction. Uh, Don Peppers likes to talk about as little X and big X, right? Or, you know, but, but or CX and, and, and experience as a, as, a, as a distinct economic offering, I think is the key. Sure. So given that, what, where do you, what's your view then of, what's your predictions of, 2023. I always hate making like year-on-year predictions because nothing ever changes in one year. I mean, if, if I say it's going to happen next year, well, it's already started, right? And this year, Adam, it's sort of a macro guy and what's what's going on. But that said, you know, one of the things that's in the news right now because Robert Iger just came back to uh, Disney and and uh, at a large measure because they don't anticipate being profitable in their Disney uh, Plus streaming service and Netflix is actually losing subscribers in that. I think it shows one of the things from the pandemic is that so many companies, I'll include Zoom here, but particularly in streaming, they just sort of thought that this was a a once-time change and and it's going to be like that forever, instead of recognizing, no, that people are going to go back. I mean, we couldn't experience physical things, so of course we're going to move to digital because we still got to experience something, right? We still got to get our experiences in there. And they missed the fact that once things open up, that people are going to go back. So one of the things I'd say in particular about 2023 is that we'll see the physical experiences are fully back, that people really don't have any qualms anymore once we get through the flu season anyway. I do, I'm, I'm still recovering from the flu. If I, if I cough, you'll know why. Right. Uh, even though I had my flu shot like three weeks ago. Well, yep, sure enough, gave me the flu. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, you know, after this flu season, things will be fully back. We'll, we'll, we'll want to go to all experiences. I mean, most all of them are back anyway. You know, one exception so far has been movies, and it's because, because partly because of the streaming problems that they've released their movies on streaming. You know, Knives Out, the latest Knives Out, I forget the the 
the name of it, but the Daniel Craig detective movie just came out and Netflix only put it in the, in the movie theaters for one week, but it did gangbusters. It's the number one movie you know, for the week, beating D- Disney's brand new movie that they came out with that is bombed, basically. And so it's 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 really relates to the quality of the movies. If you do not have great movies, I mean, Maverick showed that we'll go back to the movies for a great movie. You know, so they they haven't yet gotten into there where they where they've created those great movies. But I think that that will come. So I think we're going to see that full recovery. Another prediction that I think, and I'll stop here, but I think I can safely make is that you know in 2023. Every dead artist in the world will have an immersive experience somewhere. <laughs> and every live artist in the world will issue an NFT somewhere, right? I think I could be safe in those two predictions. <laughs> so should I start singing ABBA and knowing me, knowing you? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to start singing, mate, I'll tell okay. you. <laughs> I was listening on, um, I think it was yesterday, them saying that travel is virtually back, isn't it, to pre-pandemic levels or 70%, 80% Well, Thanksgiving back. was huge for traffic, for, yeah. for travel. People, the pandemic did not stop people in any way, shape, or form. Sure, sure. Okay, so let me, let me give you a view as well then. Maybe my view is colored by the fact that I'm spending a lot of time or had been spending a lot of time in uh, in the UK, okay? Because I think it's different. And one of the things that's different is that there is more of a pressure from a economic perspective, okay, in Europe than there is that I'm seeing in the States. So we all know about inflation. We all know about interest rates. We all know about, you know, the cost of living. I have to say, and as you both know, I go back and forth between the two countries, the UK and the States. It's a lot worse in Europe than it is in the States. I mean, I I find it amazing that I can, I'm here in the States at the moment and I'm using all my electricity without even thinking about it, which (laughs) seems a bit, sounds a bit strange to say, but I've literally been phoning my kids uh, on FaceTime and they're sitting there in their jumpers because they're concerned about the cost heating, of heating oil, natural right. gas and heating and stuff right. like that because it's literally gone up like 300, 300%, okay? And there are people now talking about the difference between heating and eating or whether they should heat or whether they should eat. I think we're a bit of a, an inflection point, and I think that we will look back at 2023 and go, yeah, that's when things changed. Let me give you a few bits of data that are making me think that way. So the American Customer Satisfaction Index, uh, you'll both be aware of, is at the lowest point it has been for 17 years. I think it's, in fact, in the last quarter, it's gone up 0.2 of a point, but it's the lowest point for, for, for 17 years, okay? You then turn around and say, Okay, well, why is that the case? And I, I love your comment, Lou, on about coronavirus because you know people you, um, will naturally go, well, that's because of Corona. And the reality is, it's not. We actually had the managing director of the American Customer Satisfaction Index on the show a little while ago, and what he told us is that between 2010 and 2019, customer satisfaction only a third of organizations improved their customer satisfaction, okay? 
which therefore is obviously pre-pandemic. So the interesting bit for me is that tells me that there are two-thirds of organisations that haven't improved their customer satisfaction over that period. So, And that's the period when all this effort has gone into improving the customer's experience. And given the differences, Joe, here that, that you and I have talked about a lot, which surprises me, okay? Uh, where it doesn't just surprise me, it shocks me, to be totally honest with you. Because if you think about the money that's also been spent on voice of the customer systems, again, it really surprises me. If you then think about, so that's sort of been bad enough, right? But if you then layer on top of that, the bit that we're now going through, particularly as I started this off in Europe, which is all of the interest rates, all of the inflation, all of the recessions that's come in in the UK. They're talking about us having the longest recession on record, okay, since history's begun. And just building on Lou's point that he made, Forrester have come out and predicted that one out of every five people in customer experience will lose their job in customer experience next year. That's what Lou was saying, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And they were talking about the fact that 54% of those people are finding it difficult to justify ROI. So you guys know my background is in corporate life and I'm very much a numbers man in the sense of your job is to improve the bottom line. Okay, that's what, you know, businesses are in there to improve profitability and effectively If you can't prove that you can improve the profitability, the revenue, the loyalty of of your uh, of what you're doing, then to be honest, you shouldn't have a job because that's what it's there for. I mean, you're not there for any other reason, you know, and therefore, if you can't prove that you're giving ROI and you're in the scenario that I've just painted. Yeah. Then guess what? If I was a CEO and I was looking at a group of people and saying, what have they contributed towards customer experience? Those would be one of the first people that I I sacked, basically, or merged or, you know, moved to one side or, or whatever. So this is where I take a step back and I think to myself, yeah, all those things being mounted on top of each other is makes us being at this inflection point. I don't want to go too far out, but maybe 2000, or 2024, 2025, we'll look back and go, yeah, that's where customer experience changed. And I think you guys have heard me talk about what I think is taking over this whole area of customer science. And I know, Joe, you don't like the word science, which is fine. Um, but- <laughs> I was going to say, the, 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 it's not just me. There's a basic view that anytime you have to put a word in front of science, it's not a science. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's not call it customer science. Customer intelligence. Or oh, I don't know what you call it. To be honest with you, I couldn't care less what you call it. But that right. sort of amalgamation of AI, data, and behavioral science or behavioral economics, those three things coming together, I personally think is that next wave of change that we're going to see overtake and let me be clear about these words it's going to overtake customer experience as a wave of change i don't think customer experience is going to disappear forever i think it will be absorbed just like crm 
was absorbed and business process re-engineering was absorbed and everything else. But I, I think it's going to be an inflection point. I think that what is really so powerful is when we do think about neuroscience and psychology, there is a science that how we process experiences. But I think what is really exciting to me is I think we've all waited 30 years and there have been a number of academic papers written, but we've waited 30 years for something that recently happened, which is uh, I'm excited that I've been appointed to the faculty as a professor of practice at MSU. Yeah, that's a good point, mate. We, we should be bowing down before you. You're now a professor. <laughs> it's, it's the very first master's of science degree in customer experience management. Great. And I think we've all waited for people to begin to realize that this is all about a management discipline. Sure. And I think the recognition of that, I think we're going to be seeing more of that. I can't believe the senior executives that are signing up and enrolling in this master's program. My hat is off to Tom DeWitt and, and the, the folks at MSU um, we've been trying to sell this. I started trying to sell that to uh, Pratt at one time. Uh, I've tried at MSI. But finally, there's an organization that realizes that value creation in the world of marketing, experience management is a critical aspect of that. So do you think it's just because then that I'm big on this bit about the wave of change, all right? Do you think that it's just becoming business as usual now and therefore doesn't need to be discussed as a sort of a separate wave? I, I think that there's an acceptance that when we begin to talk about experience, the breadth of knowledge that someone has to have to really look at the full spectrum and look at ROI, look at finance, look at all of these various pieces and I think that what's happened is people that have been placed in a lot of positions had a very myopic view of what experience management is all about. And it's the ultimate value proposition of the organization. It's that distinctive value that Joe talks about that they're chartered with. And yet they've become metrics driven in terms of net promoter score sentiment, which is a very shallow understanding of emotion and unconscious framing. So I, I think the evolution of this work is going to be fascinating as we begin to see more and more adoption uh, of seeing this as a basic management discipline that's required in an organization. So what would you class as the measurement you need then because i mean any basic management needs you know it's classic stuff if you can't measure it you can't manage it i think the ultimate measure is pricing elasticity in other words how sensitive people are to pricing whether it's lower priced or higher priced if you take apple and apple's ability to continue to charge outrageous money subscription base is becoming so big what's the value that i get but I'm losing track of subscriptions I've got. I've got subscriptions that I'm paying for that like have been two years. 
I think that what we're going to begin to look at is how do we begin to manage all of that? And do people like Microsoft or, or Safari see themselves in a role of becoming a companion to sort all that stuff out. Yeah, you, you can now buy a subscription to manage all your subscriptions. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> but it's crazy. We're living in a very unique period of time with a lot of confusion built around this fusion, what I refer to as fusionomics, which is the fusion of technology and bricks and mortar and physical experience, especially in healthcare. I, I find... Everyone's talking about the humanization of technology. That is a very, very critical aspect of healthcare, is that human touch. And I think that's one of the great big challenges that healthcare faces in, in 23, is what will hospitals and care in the future be like? Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000, that's very impressive, Colin. That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, hey. Beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. <laughs> it would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go onto LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. Where do you come at with, with all that, Joe? Do you think it's just becoming a management part of management now or what? Well, you know, I've always I've always said that you know, like well, like Luke mentioned earlier, the CEO really is becoming it should be the chief experience officer. And I think when a business is the experience business, right? Like Disney, for example, the CEO absolutely is the chief experience officer because everybody understands they're in the experience business. And, and so I've long promoted CXOs as an actual position because most companies aren't at that level, knowing that eventually it would get sort of absorbed into. I mean, you, you, you talk, Colin, about being a corporate guy. Well, originally so was I, right? I worked at IBM for 13 years. And that's where I started. And I can remember the whole push towards quality management, right, in the 1980s. And that also sort of got absorbed into everything where everybody finally understood that, yeah, it's all, we all got to do quality. It's all part of your job. So you don't need that, that specific focus on it. Are we there yet? I would say it's, it's no, but it's shifting in that direction. I do think that a lot of CEOs are seeing that the numbers they get out of, uh, out of uh, CX groups aren't really making that much of a difference. Uh, one of the problems is there's no catalytic mechanism that says when numbers go down, stuff automatically happens and we recover and we do that and we learn from it, right? We don't have that level of, of continuous improvement going on in regards to the, the experience. So, so for the most part, there still needs to be that focus. But I think we're, new measures are going to come about. I, I always say the ultimate measurement is, is revenue and profit, right? I mean, that's what the, the ultimate measure is. 
and all the other stuff is to is it going to help you do that? Revenue and profit, in fact, though, are really a proxy measurement for for the economic value you create for your customers, right? So it's about value for customers that that what you offer them is more important to them than the money in their account, right? That's when you're creating economic value. That's the only reason they buy from you because they, they view it more highly than the money that they that they have uh, sitting around. So you, that's what you've got to create is that level of, of economic value. And a lot of that then comes down to time. One of the formulas I've recently written about is that the value you create and therefore the money you charge is equal to the functionality you provide plus your net value of time, right? So, so if you if you waste customers' time, for example, guess what, right? You you can't even charge for the for the functionality you provide, right? Because people recognize that and they're going to say, hey, you know, this is not worth it because you're making me spend too much of my time on it. If you get to that time well saved level, then you're getting a, a regular charge for the functionality you provide, whether it's a good service or or, or full experience. But if you provide that time well spent, right, then you can add that premium, right? And that's what Apple does, that people value the, the, not just the apps that they use on their phone, they value the use of the phone itself and how well it's designed and, and everything. And, and Starbucks being able to charge a premium for a cup of coffee because of the coffee drinking experience that they provide, not charging explicitly for it. And then there's even, there's one other level of, of after you get rid of time wasted, you provide time well saved, then you add on time well spent. There's one more level, which is time well invested. Time well invested, where people are investing their time to improve themselves in some way. That's where my uh, colleagues and I wrote a January, February article in the Harvard Business Review this year uh, called The New You Business. And it's about how do you create a new you? How do you use the experiences people have to actually transform them into achieving their aspirations, whatever that might be? And any, any business that's in the business of helping people become healthy, wealthy, and wise, to use Ben Franklin's uh, famous uh, formulation, is really in the transformation business and really is offering time well invested. Uh, and so I think that there's tremendous opportunities to create more value in that, that direction and even charging explicitly for those, like charging for time. We see more and more restaurants and retailers and manufacturers create experiences that they're charging admission for. Right, that's explicitly charging for the time. We see more and more companies charging for the outcomes that their customers achieve, right? With the time well invested, with the transformation. Because all that matter when when somebody comes to you and says, like you're a coach, for example, all coaches are in the transformation business, right? And you want improvement on some aspect, all of the things you do don't matter unless they get the improvement, right? Unless they lose the weight or unless they they improve their golf handicap, unless they gain washboard abs. The only outcomes matter. And so ideally you charge for the outcomes. And we're going to see that shift continue more and more where companies explicitly recognize this is the business we're in and we're going to charge explicitly for the time that customers spend with us or for the outcomes that they achieve through us, right? Thanks to our help and, and guidance. My hope is that People really concentrate in organizations on open-mindedness and that what we're caught in is a world of break-fix, that what we're doing is fixing broken things and thinking that that's going to lead to distinctive economic value. And the pandemic broke a lot of stuff and they're, and, and they're not even fixing it. They're just blaming stuff on it, as you said earlier, Lou. Sure. <laughs> exactly. And I think that we need to shift from fixing broken. I think of it as a, an engine in a car. What we're dealing with is the exhaust. 
And that exhaust, oh, it's broken, let's fix this, let's fix that, let's fix the other thing. What we need to be concerned about is the fuel and the way that the engine works, which will reduce the toxins in the exhaust. And that what most organizations are focused on is exhaust to a great degree and fixing broken things. Uh, It's what journey mapping led to. You know, I think that there's got to be a very open mind to what we would call next practices and moving out of the industrial age into the experience economy and the era that we live in. It makes me wonder whether if I looked at some of the stats I I gave you earlier, i.e. a third of organizations have improved their experience or only a third of organizations improved their experience. It makes you wonder whether it's just about organizations being more selective about whether they get involved or not. You guys know as well as I do that a number of organizations that jumped into improving their experience really didn't know what the hell they were doing. Really, you know, were just doing it just because everybody else was doing it and really didn't have the commitment or the, yeah, the commitment to actually deal with it. They were just doing it because everybody else was doing it, you know? It makes you wonder, therefore, whether it becomes a sort of, you know, 2023 becomes a more of a self-selecting thing that the people that really do believe in this stuff really focus on it. And maybe it's the two thirds of organizations shouldn't be focusing on it because they're not really committed to it. Right. They're not Um, committed. And, you know, what's therefore they don't see the light. So therefore they shouldn't even do it. And maybe we're sitting here worried about the hundred percent or I'm sitting here worried about the hundred percent going and actually I shouldn't be, I should just be going. There's only 30% of organizations that I should be looking at that really are committed to it. And, you know, maybe there are certain sort of industries you mentioned healthcare, I think is an important one, Lou, that should be focused on it more because that human experience in that environment is more important rather than a water utility who gets to talk to a customer once every seven years or something stupid um, because, the, you know, the product, you just turn the faucet on and the water comes out and that's it, basically. The healthcare, we refer to it as a healthcare system and it's anything but a system. Uh, the complexity of health insurance, uh, this is not a bill. <laughs> it looks like a bill to me. <laughs> Um, you know, there, there are so many things and there are cop-outs in terms of everyone has excuses in regulatory businesses. And I don't think that they actually exercise creativity. When I was at National Cars, the VP of marketing, and we wanted to create the electronic rental agreement so that you only signed once, American Express gave us so much crap, none of the credit card companies would do it. They wanted an actual signature. But then what we used was their own, what would be negative uh, or uh, was their travel and leisure magazine that you would subscribe to without having to sign it, that you would pay a subscription fee for it and never had to sign anything. So we used their own argument against them. And I think that we need to be doing more of that challenging regulatory agencies. Yeah, no, you remind me of my time when I was at British Telecom and obviously regulated market. And the amount of times that people said, 
said to me, we can't do that because of the regulation. Right. And I used to end up saying, show me where it says that we can't do that. Because what happens is it gets written in folklore and it just becomes the excuse for not doing things, basically. So I, I absolutely agree that, you know, people should be looking at things from a different perspective. So maybe, guys, um, um, what, what would you suggest that people focus on next year? So 2023, what would you recommend that people focus on? I think there's an examination of conscience for CEOs and leadership in organizations to look at the reality of what they're getting out of what they're doing and to either make a commitment or forget about it to a degree. Uh, Why waste money if you're not literally creating value and all you're doing is what was done in the quality movement, which is fixing broken things and trying to save money, which some organizations are even doing with experience management, where you can fuse lean with experience management. So I, I really think that it's time to really sit back both for professionals that are in the business, even our consultant colleagues, to look at what value are you actually creating? Are you creating open-mindedness? Are you really moving this movement forward? Good God, the three of us, I don't want to say how many years, (laughs) as the pioneers, uh, we've been at it a long time, hoping that this would grip We're seeing signs of it, but it's so damn slow. I hope that I can outlive (laughs) seeing what we have a vision of together. You know, I think of us as the three tenors. We should probably sing a Christmas carol or something. Yeah, the three amigos is how I like to think of us. (laughs) We just need the sombreros or something like that. That's right. I got one somewhere, I think. What about you, Joe? So I, I, I build on top of both of what both of you said. Colleen, you talk about maybe people shouldn't just be doing this stuff. And I would say the value, Lou, that, they're, that they look at is, is, I would say, examine time, right? Which of these time levels do you want to be at, right? You know, you know, now there's, there's time wasted. And there are, in fact, companies whose business model is predicated on wasting their customers' time. And healthcare is one of them, in fact, right? Is that they're, they're aimed for the efficiency of the doctors, not the efficiency of the, of the patients. And they waste, they waste patients' time in order to save that efficiency, not recognizing that there's a balance in there. And, and reg- so, so say, is that, I think long term, that's just not a good business model, right? There, but long term, you need to at least rise to get rid of the wasting people's time. And rise that level of time well saved. But then, then you have opportunities to choose. And maybe if you stay at the time well saved, then then you can tread water on a lot of stuff. And you you don't need maybe all the CX people that we're talking about to, to measure how well you're not doing time well spent and time well invested. But recognize that there are opportunities there that you can go beyond that to build on top of that time well saved, uh, offer your customers time well spent actual memorable, engaging experiences. And then, and then in time loans invested, the question is to ask why, right? Why are your customers buying from you? Use the old TQM technique again of asking five whys, right? Ask why until you get down to some core aspiration. Well, is that something that you could actually help with? And if so, is that going to be a value to your customers? Are they really going to be able to pay you for that and come back to you again for that? And I think you'll find that, that very often the answer is yes. 
Uh, there's tremendous opportunities to go beyond what you do today to create more value for your customers and therefore more value for your company. Yeah, that makes a, a, a lot of sense. I think from where I'm sitting, what I liked about what you said, Lou, and I agree, is you just need to make a bloody decision about whether you're going to do this or not right. and whether it makes sense or not. And I have to say, I've said this to people in the C-suite, and if you're not, just don't bother because you, you're causing more harm in the organization than you are good by doing something half-heartedly. For me, Lou, I totally agree. You've got to turn around and uh, make a decision about whether it's right or not. And Joe, I really love the, the concept of the timepiece, which is, again, we've obviously talked about it in the past, but it's, it is absolutely the key area, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and Cal, I'll just, I'll just add it just for a very simple reason. The most precious resource on the planet is the time, time of individual yeah. human beings. Yeah, no, I totally agree, totally agree. And the other part is just the conversation we've had about the outcome. So whilst I would totally agree that clearly at the top level, it's ROI that you're getting, I, I think that there are other outcomes that you could look at. So, you know, whether it's subscriptions or whatever, I think part of the problem is that organizations get just they tie themselves up in knots in trying to justify whose win it was rather than recognize so in other words the marketing go team go wow it was because we run this wonderful campaign and the customer experience team go oh well it's because we improved the customer experience and the reality is is well actually it's a lot of those things combined but maybe maybe looking at some different measures but certainly the key is you've got to remember that for me you've got to remember that you are in it to produce something for the organization. And if you're not doing it, you don't deserve to have a job. It's as simple as that. And in times of stress, as we are in, then it's going to just become even more exaggerated. Joe and Colin, I think that uh, CEOs need to look at time well spent in CX. Yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think it is really good that you're now doing this course and I'm, and I'm really pleased that people are signing up for it. And I do believe, Joe, you know, like TQM and you both, all of us remember those days. Well, everybody goes, yeah, well, quality is clearly part of it. And you wouldn't dream of ever going back to the days when quality right, wasn't. Right. And customer experience, I think, is just going to be the same thing. It's just, you know, as Lou said, it's, it's lasted as a wave of change far longer than I ever thought it would do, to be honest with you. We shall see what happens over, over the next year. Lou, where, if people want to get hold of you, where we'll put all of this in the, in the show notes, uh, but if people want to get hold of you, where, where do they get hold of you? L. Carbone at expeng.com or carbon26 at msu.edu. Wonderful. Okay, well, we'll put all of that link in the show notes. And Joe, what about you? Uh, the best is just to go to strategichorizons.com and there's a contact page where you can connect with us, send an email or get our quarterly field notes newsletter. And, and you can also link in with me or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pine. If Twitter's still around by the time if you If Twitter's still around. <laughs> I, have, I have very every confidence. <laughs> yeah, same here. We'll have to do this in person sometime. <laughs> we will. Yes, we'll have to have to do a show. There you go. That would be interesting. Good. Okay, everyone. Thanks very much and talk to you all next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.
This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.